Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm your host, JP. As always with me are my fearless co-host, Joe. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? And Marcus. Insert clever comment here. Now, today we have a special guest from WaterfrontComics.com and the 4Js in the Comics podcast, John Harder. Hello, everyone. Welcome back on the show, man. I had a long way to go to get here. <laughs> you did. Oh, yeah. It was it was quite a commute. Uh, for those of you that don't know, we record directly above John's shop. <laughs> I had a Justin Woods going to work commute today. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Upstairs. So this is an exciting and special episode. We are actually going to be talking about some stuff that isn't sp- strictly self-published webcomic-y type stuff. Because this coming weekend is free comic book day. Best holiday ever. Which is basically like the only comic holiday there is, really, right? It's my favorite and most frustrating day of the year. All in one. (laughs) Yes. So, John, as he's gearing up for free comic book day, let us take a peek at some of the comics that are coming out on free comic book day so that we can make some recommendations for you guys and talk about some of the ones that uh, the cream that rose to the top, as it were. And uh, if you go and check out our sister podcast, Four Jason a Comic, we will have some recommendations that are a little bit more mainstream, more Marvel DC type entries as well. Speaking of the uh, comics that are going to be coming out on Free Comic Book Day. So you can go to waterfrontcomics.com and check out that podcast as well. It will be released at the we'll same have, time this I one I think is. we'll put both of them up on both sites. Does that sound like a plan? That sounds like a plan. Let's do that. Okay. First of all, why don't you tell us about Free Comic Book Day, John? Like, what is it? How long has it been going on? What's the deal? Free Comic Book Day is basically what the name says. You can come into a comic book store and get free comics. Now, not any comic is free, because that happened last year. So anything? I can have anything? I'm going to get that. What makes this, besides being my most favorite day and my most frustrating day, is you get numerous people that think it's funny. So that means everything in the store is free, right? And then there's the few that really do believe everything in the store should be free. <laughs> and then you get the even one more level up. The people are, it's, why isn't everything in the store free? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> do you have the level of people just walk in and just try to take stuff? One day, Free Comic Day a few years ago, I actually had to call the police as one gentleman filled up three long boxes with trays and was walking out the door with them. <laughs> Whoa. And he said, well, everything in the store is free, right? Mm -hmm. Even though there's clearly signs, this is the table of free comics. Mm -hmm. So I let the police deal with that. They ended up letting him off with a warning, but I'm pretty sure he knew what he was doing. Oh, uh, there's no way he didn't know what he was doing. Don't be stupid. It was your little Black Friday taste there. (laughs) But... I thought you were going to get racist for a second. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Dude! <laughs> That's the one thing we try to avoid in the store, at least around customers. Is yeah. <laughs> Blatant racism. <laughs> but like I said, it, it's my favorite day of the year. You you always tend to, unfortunately, you tend to remember the bad memories more. I think mm-hmm. it's how it's hardwired in. So I've been more on a positive thing, thinking how many... Kids and kids of all ages actually get to try out cool comics for the day. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of got fired up when I got in all the free comics last week and got a chance to go through them. And, oh, this is really cool. This is really cool. Diamond only shorted us on six titles that we won't be able to give out. So, Which is better than it can be because sometimes it can be an absolute just cluster. Yes. and But it's still quite frustrating because, you know, they have one 
job. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So now, how long is Free Comic Book Day going on? Because I, I remember this, it from when I was a kid. This is the 14th year, I believe. And I have participated in it in one way or the other in all 14 years. Awesome. Thanks wow. to uh, Mr. Joe Field, am I correct? Yes. Yes. Joe Field of the wonderful Flying Colors comics. And it's actually our closest competition with competition in air quotes from Concord, California, which for those out there on the internet, it's about half hour away from our store. Yeah. And his store happens to be in a shopping center next to a Baskin Robbins. So Baskin Robbins for a year has been years have has been having a get a free cone day. Oh, free cone. Brilliant. Yeah. So he saw the line of people that were stretched around the shopping center in front of his store to get a free ice cream cone and wondered, why can't we do this for comics? And that's how the idea was born. And the first free comic book day I think there was maybe like a total of eight to 10 comics that came out that, that were to be given away. And it started the first Saturday of May because that happened to be the release of, I think, the first Spider-Man movie. Not Amazing yeah. Spider-Man, but yeah, I the think first Sam right. Raimi Spider-Man sure. movie. Was it that long ago? Yeah. yeah. Oh, shit. Which seems like forever ago. <laughs> and at that time, I was working for a comic book store. I didn't own my own comic book store. We were working for the now defunct comics and comics chain in the Westfield mall mm -hmm. where the powers that be decided, Oh, that's free comic book day. We'll get some free comics books in there. We had maybe a total of 75 comics total to give out Which, last, in comparison to now. I have over 2000 comics to give out for my little store yeah. Yeah. for free comic book day. So probably we were 70 titles to give out. Yeah. There's, <laughs> There, it was actually this year, there was 57 titles solicited that I could order. Of those, I ordered a total of 43. That's awesome. So, yeah. so we ordered 43 titles this year. Those 75 comics that we got at Comics Comics were gone within, say, 45 minutes, if that, <laughs> you know, which left, left all day for myself and Sean O'Rourke and, you know, the other people that were there to be like, sorry, we're out of comics. <laughs> go to Flying Colors. Uh, you, know. you, you put the <laughs> F word out there and people just go berserk. Yeah, it really does. And which F word? The any. big F word. <laughs> the four lettered one. So the next year we also were working for comics and comics. By that time they had stopped getting comics. I actually went to Joe Field's Flying Colors for year two to see how they did it. And it was fairly impressive. They, their guest that year was Jim Lee, who was, <laughs> well, who was fresh wow. off of Batman. So that was a, a whole different free comic book day experience. And by year three, we were open here. So it has now been our 11th free comic book day doing it. You're at Waterfront Comics. If you're at Waterfront Comics. That's awesome. And it's been developed into like a little informal convention. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And then it's like, it's like WaterCon. <laughs> and a year ago is when the Joe and the JP had been shopping here for a while. And we knew each other kind of peripherally through friends and friends of friends. Sure. Mm -hmm. But that's when I actually sat down and talked with them and said, oh, this podcasting thing's pretty cool. And from that, then 4Js was born. And now we're upstairs. The studios is upstairs here. And best Buds. And yeah. It's been, it's been a whirlwind year. It can, hard to believe it's only been a year. It feels like it's been longer. And I told Justin Woods the other night, I... I wished him a happy anniversary and both of our wives laughed at us. And <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. So free comic book day, bringing people together. 
It's pretty exciting. And I think that something that people maybe don't think about as much with comic books is how great comic books are for kids, for kids' literacy, that comic books as a medium is a really incredible literary tool to tell a story and is really a form of high art. And something like Free Comic Book Day to try and gather in people that maybe wouldn't normally go to a comic book shop is an awesome opportunity for those of you out there who like comic books, like the people listening to this podcast, to try and get your friends to come. People will be there in costume. They'll give out free snow cones and popcorn. And some places have jumpy houses. And some people have famous people there signing. They have little conventions. Some people have local artists. It's a whole event. It's a bunch of fun. And you get to go there, hang out with people, stand in line for a little while, and then get, uh, you know, what is it, three, four free comics. At Waterfront Comics, we limit to three or four because when we didn't... (laughs) (laughs) Same problem, comics and comics. Well, I mean, people, people will grab handfuls knowing they're not read. When I limit it to three or four, and it's three and four in air quotations because I'm not really that strict, especially when Mm -hmm. it comes to little ones. Yeah, a little sure, kid sure. comes up. But can I please have five? But if it's a person that looks like Marcus and they have a checklist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but that's the purpose of Free Comic Book Day is to try and drum up a little more business for the local comic book shops and to evangelize comics a little bit. I mean, yeah. it is like the evangelize comic books day. That's what and, it is. And see, I th- I think people don't realize that it's free to everyone but me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's an expense I'm happy to do because... Do you see a surge in in business for a while after that? I see a surge that day. And that's another thing I'm going to be talking about on this one in the 4Js podcast is there were some books I didn't order this year because they haven't put anything out since last free comic book day. Right. Hmm. And really, what do I as a retailer get out of that? Well, it's like a stepping stone, right? Yeah. Somebody comes in and says, oh, hey, Atomic Robo, that's cool. And John says, well, as a matter of fact, I have trades for Atomic Robo right here. And the new series just started this week, and it's right here. Yeah, it's an opportunity to drive sales, and it's an opportunity for each shop to pull more people in than they would that day and maybe get some people to stick around. And then the other thing is a lot of the free comics have started to price themselves out. Yeah. If it's something that you know I'm ordering and, and to make any kind of dent, you know, I need to order 20, 30 copies of one, you know, to have any kind of traction. And if that comic costs me 60, 70 cents, that's not really doable for something that I may sell two or three $4 comics for. Sure, sure. You know, so in January, when I had this giant list of solicitations and everything to read through for the silver publishers, which are the, how it works is you have to order 25 copies of each gold published or at least to be a participating retailer and then there were 45 silver books that you can pick and choose whatever from mm-hmm. but no matter what every comic book shop that is an official participant of free comic book day will have 25 copies at, at least, least 25 copies of each of the of the, tw- of the gold of the 12 gold ones yeah okay which you know 25 is kind of a laughable number i mean right. nobody just orders 25 i mean it would yeah. be you know it was like the comics and comics thing you know right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like I said, it's an evangel a day to evangelize, you know, comics, get people reading. The good th- one of the things I really like talking about kids is about I'd say about thirty five percent of these comics are aimed directly at children. Yeah, and one thing that's nice as someone who was coming in as a new ish comic book reader when this was happening the first time we we met, I want to say probably at this point three years ago was the first free mm-hmm. comic book day we came to here. Because we participated in last year's as doing a live show, which we'll probably do again. But uh, 
I can remember thinking to myself, oh, here's a couple comics, and sometimes they coincide with issue zeros or issue ones that are about to start, Mm -hmm. which is one of the nicest things about that, because that's easily one of the biggest challenges coming in as a newbie to comic books, is you walk in and you see this, this wall surrounding you, you know, you know, five, six, ten feet hall, just full of comic books, and most of them don't say one or zero on them. Yeah. And so then you're like, well, do I just pick up the most recent one? Should I get a trade paperback to try and catch up? What's what's the deal? And you know, you look behind the you know issue five, six, seven, eight, thirty. You yeah. know, and try and find a starting point, and that's because that's how our brains work, right? We we go in and we're like, well, I should start at the beginning, right? And yeah, it doesn't really work that way with comics, but this is one of the really nice sort of smooth ways to transition into where you can come in, pick a couple of free comic books out that look interesting to you. And pretty regularly, especially some of the ones from the big two, are about to come out with a new series based Mm -hmm. on the comic that you're reading, which is really neat. Because then you can come in and be like, yeah, I really like this one and that one. That was really cool. And, you know, you can walk up to the front and John says, hey, as a matter of fact, we got that in this week. It's brand spanking new. You can start at the beginning. No stress, no muss, no fuss. It's pretty darn cool. So I've got a little bit of stuff I'd like to talk to you guys about concerning comic book literacy and things like that. Not a whole episode's worth because we actually have a school teacher that would like to come in and talk with us about that. And so we will dedicate an entire episode to that in the future. But I did a little bit of research for a podcast that was about that very subject called the Geeks with Wives and Capes podcast, which you can find at geekswithwives.com. And they had me on there as a guest, and I did all this research for it, and it's really brought to light a lot of interesting things. But first, why don't we go ahead and talk about a couple of the comics first, okay? Sure. So we'll work probably in ascending favorite order. (laughs) So we'll talk about the ones we like the most later. (laughs) So on Wednesday, JP and Joe came in, and I flopped down in front of them, you know, all... A man-sized stack. Yeah, I mean, probably about two phone books easy in size of you know the comics came in and said here look through these let's pick five for each podcast we want to do mm-hmm. so this was of the silver ones so we picked five different books out for the silver the silver section to review we didn't pick any kids comics mainly because they're all pretty self-explanatory you know yeah. it's a simpsons comic because of the kids comics my favorite one this year is the donald duck one really it, it replay it reprints a bunch of the Carl Barks stories from the the 40s and 50s. Hmm, And Carl Barks, for me, on my Mount Rushmore, he's up there with Kirby, Eisner, and then Carl Barks. Wow. He was that great of a creator. And, uh, I mean, he is, you know, what you think of when you think of Disney comics. Hmm. So the the Donald Duck one, it has about six or seven of those Carl Barks stories. So it's great to be able to share those with a new generation of comic readers to get them them interested in it and then if they love it to get them started on the five volumes of $30 hardcovers I have downstairs. Uh, nice. Now are these are these the reprints of the old ones or were they redrawn? No, they're 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 re, reprint re, I mean, they did the thing they went in cleaned up the art, recolored them, you know, they look beautiful. Awesome. Know, awesome. So first up, we're going to talk about Shigeru Mizuki's Showa, A History of Japan. I really thought JP would like this as he is into a lot of manga and Japan stuff. And the solicitation on this was drawn and quarterly presents a history of Japan. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds cool. And I think it was, I thought it was going to be more textbook like, right. Right. Rather than what we, uh, we read. It's kind of one guy's history of the warriors. Yeah. And some sort of surrounding, surrounding bits. And so 
It's interesting. For those of you that aren't familiar with Japanese comics, they actually read right to left. And so sometimes when they bring the comic over, translate and localize it for the, you know, wherever it is that it's going to be released, often they'll flip it. Because in Japan, when it comes out, it is right to left. And so basically backwards from what we're used to for reading comic books. And it can be a little bit jarring when you're reading a page and you're just in the middle of the book and you're not thinking, oh, I have to remember to read top right to top left and then continue and so on. So for it's me that doesn't, essentially opposite. For me that doesn't read a lot of manga, that's always an issue for me. Yeah. Now, I've gotten used to that. And I can remember back in high school, I read probably way more manga than than American comics. And so when I first started reading American comics, it was messing with me. <laughs> you know, got, got back into it when I was older. Anyway, so it is often switched when they bring it over here to localize it and make it not quite as difficult. But this is actually a bold move and they actually did the original Japanese style. Obviously, it's not in Japanese, otherwise we couldn't read it, but it is still right to left. And so the book, if you open the book on the side that you think is going to be the, the normal side and you get a little ways in, it says, this book is presented in the traditional Japanese manner and is meant to be read right to left. The cover at the opposite end is considered the front of the book and uh, gives you a little info about how to read that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I actually, I skipped that text at first. <laughs> and you were like, well, this story doesn't make any like, sense. This is weird. I don't understand <laughs> Why is he on. breaking open a can of pineapples with yeah, his bare hands? Exactly. <laughs> well, the first thing that stood out to me in this comic is that it's pretty funny. I mean, mm -hmm. it is. It's pretty funny. And has that very, very distinctive, like super iconic cartoony type look to the characters with really hyper detailed backgrounds, almost photorealistic hyper, hyper detailed backgrounds. And I think at one point they actually did do some sort of dot tone reductions of photos. Yeah, it didn't yeah. look like it was drawn to me. Well, some like for example, this first one, that's drawn. Like that's definitely drawn, the the buildings there. Anyway, so it's an interesting way to do things and it's a really excellent and successful way to make things pop. You know, have your characters really stand out against the background. It's a favorite way for people like Osamu Tezuka, who's kind of like the godfather of Japanese comic books. And another favorite is uh, author of Akira, Katsuhiro Otomo. His his work is also like that as well. And, and it's really neat, and it works really well, but I would say that the characters seem probably too simplified for me in this yeah, one. The, it, were, it looks out of place. It, it looks was like really, that, really lacking like a consistency. I'm sorry to yeah. interrupt. And it, it looks like, what's that show called? The Shin-chan? Shin Shin-chan, right? Shin-chan! Yeah, and it looks like that where, where the, the art, the character art is like a hot mess of simple, weird, uneven goofiness that you would expect in some kind of super impressionistic, like, silly kids cartoon kind of thing. Yet at the same time, the backgrounds are really well done. And that's what this feels like in a, in a big way. And normally that works well, but it's just, it's a little too cartoony for me. And so that, that, that was right out of the right of the gate a little weird. But then it, would, it sort of vacillates between really cartoony and like really realistic. Not just the backgrounds being realistic and the characters being cartoony, but the characters will get really realistic also. And it's just kind of like, it's just so confusing. And I just found it visually a little bit just all over the place. Yeah, it really wasn't my cup of genre. Yeah, no, it, was, <laughs> it wasn't for me either. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy Japanese history. I really have a lot of respect for Japanese art and culture. Um, I, you know, I grew up doing martial arts and you know, had a friend who was a Japanese exchange student when I was a kid and got introduced to that stuff early on. So I've always, it has like a, I have a soft spot for that. But even I found it, I found that it was really riding on that emotional bank account of I'm interested in Japanese culture. Mm -hmm in a big way and wasn't really doing a lot for me on its own merit to make it interesting as a comic book separate from that, regardless of the subject matter. So I didn't actually see any 
well, not any, I won't say any, because I know that they, I, I can acknowledge some of the jokes they tried to make, but it wasn't hitting with me. Like, mm-hmm. the humor in it wasn't quite there. It's real um, dry. And so I was kind of going through, and I was like, oh, okay, so this guy has a strange life. Now he's going to go into the military, and the military is not what you expected, and then yeah. he's okay. Yeah, he's, like, hanging out in the military, and then all of a sudden he's getting beat up. And then, like, that becomes his story for the rest of the thing. It's like, I, I get beat up all the time. That's what I do. It's like, yeah. what is happening? A lot Where? of the, like, big story po- points, though, I thought were more about... The history. The history, how... The uh, the public opinion in Japan during the war times was, oh, Japan's unstoppable. We can do anything. And that's why we're spread so thin and ended up getting our asses handed to us at the end there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's just it was interesting. It w- I almost wish that it had just chosen one or the other. Yeah, I, yeah. I think if they had gone more along the lines of Joe, that it would have been a much more interesting book for yeah. me. Like I really the th- thing I thought was most most interesting was the Emperor Japan going through people's trash. That was and, fascinating. Yeah, that was really and being, cool. You know, like, why did you throw away? this fish carcass yeah you could use it to make soup stuff right yeah Mm -hmm. so i mean that that stuff was fascinating and sort of a historical geek perspective but the character the main character that the story sort of orbits around i just didn't connect with him and it was kind of like what what's his deal like why why is this why is he even part of the story where he's not even really an interesting part he doesn't really seem to have any kind of important role it just i don't know maybe if we read uh, the larger portion of this work or i, I don't know is that the whole thing no no it's, I mean, it's there's, there's no way it can be the no, whole no it's thing. actually a, just a a small portion like 16 18 pages of a graphic novel that's like the third in this Series of graphic novels. So then we're familiar with the character by now at this point in the story? Okay, so that makes a little more sense. So maybe it was just a poorly chosen vertical slice of the story. Hmm. I wish I'd known that when I ordered that because... Yeah, because this is... It said, what, volume one is the 1920s, this is the 30s and 40s. So, yeah. I also thought there wasn't a whole lot of character uh, design differences. Like, there were a couple of characters were like... The same guy? It was hard to tell who Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, didn't, I didn't word that well at all. That kind of just stumbled out of my mouth. How about a good character? Yeah. <laughs> so next up, we're going to talk about Atomic Robo. Atomic Robo, well, that's that's what's on the cover, but there's actually a couple other ones. There's also the the Bodhi Troll and then Haunted. Yeah, it's a uh, Atomic Robo and Friends from Red 5 Entertainment. I thought that was pretty interesting. I definitely mm-hmm. felt like the art was really strong, easy to read, easy to understand what's going on. The narrative was clear. The characters were distinct. The Atomic Robo series to me feels like the Iron Giant meets Hellboy. Yeah. When you when you read the books, he was created by Nikola Tesla, and then he goes around and has adventures with his you know BPRD type type people that he leads, and that's really a perfect analogy. Yeah. Man, it's it sounds it seems like a really cool thing, and I again I really did enjoy the art, and I yeah. thought that it was it was very clean, and like there's a particular spot that I thought was really interesting. But I don't think I've ever seen someone do this before, but works well because memory is sort of foggy anyway. And there was a scene where one of the characters was sort of in his mind flashing back to a previous time where he was where they are now, because uh, apparently he's very long lived being that he's a robot. And in his flashback, there's this sort of dot tone over everything, but otherwise it's drawn and colored exactly the same as everything else is. And it works really well. It's it's a very light dot tone, probably maybe like a 15% darkness dot tone. So it's very light. And so it doesn't really take away from anything. But it has this sort of hazy look, which I think accomplishes very well that kind of like that sort of fogginess of memory. So I thought that was pretty cool. It was a neat effect. I knew immediately that it went into flashback. That was a super successful way of doing it. Totally. Yeah. Uh, getting across what the writer was trying to do. And uh, the artwork actually t- looks to me like the artwork from the old Jackie Chan cartoon series yeah 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 yeah. especially that one kid who has very distinctly asian features yeah you love that show i do 
Speaking of kids shows, well, supposedly kids shows that are unbelievably awesome. Have you guys watched any of the 3D Clone Wars show? Yes. That show's off the hook. I never knew anything about it. And then my friend Dustin comes along and he's like, hey, man, you should check out this show. It's really good. I started watching it. It's like, holy shit, that's actually really well made. It gets to, it gets dark. There's characterization. They It's surprisingly good. And not to be Justin Woods and derail the whole podcast, but it was just announced that all the expanded universe stuff is, no, gone. is gone. And the only stuff that Disney is now concerning Star Wars is system movies and the Clone Wars. Television show. show, which is great because the Clone Wars television show was freaking awesome. Anyway, I'm, I'm only a little ways into it, but I just couldn't help myself. I had to say that out loud to the internets because holy crap, it's awesome. If there's anyone out there that's a Star Wars fan and is thinking, oh, that's cool, but it looks like a kid's show and it's really not. No, it's for you. It is totally for you. It's a really badass. So definitely a thumbs up for checking out that Atomic Robo. That was really it was really fun. I could definitely see myself reading more of that. Especially after you've expanded a little bit, that it's a little bit more. I mean, like Hellboy, and I could see myself liking, liking it more and more. Yeah, and they've been pushing Atomic Robo every year for yeah. comic book. Yeah, I mean, it's a it, long time. Yeah, about eight. I think that they've been around like eight years or so. Red Five's a, a fun little publisher, Atomic Robo and such. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that people love picking up the comic on Free Comic Book Day. It's one of the first ones gone. For me, it never has translated into coming back and getting the comic. When they're coming out, but they'll have a new comic out, a new number one issue of a miniseries out the day that free comic book day happens. So check it out. Yeah, definitely. Now the next one, the Bodie troll, one of my favorites. Yeah, out of, Marcus out of the liked whole it a lot. Stack. I, I thought, okay. So when we were talking about this beforehand, I was saying that it didn't really resonate with me, but I think more it's just because it's super hyper busy visually, Yeah, like lots of little tiny frames, tons and tons of text, but not. Walls of text, just lots of little bubbles. Not milk and, and cheese, just, paragraphs. Yeah, it's just paragraphs. really busy. And, you know, once you kind of get into the groove of seeing things, but it's almost like you got to kind of pull it up to your face and squint a little bit to see all the details, which is great if there's lots of details. But there are details that feel like there's too much information squeezed on there for it to be easy to read. And, and then there's details like maybe Jeff Darrow, who is just tons of details, but it still creates like it's, it's like detailed on a small scale, but when you kind of pull back and see the whole image, it's still very clear what's happening. It's like looking at all those little pictures that fit together and make a big picture. Right, yeah, it's sort of a pointillism sort of thing going on that Jeff Darrow has, whereas this is a very cartoony style, the backgrounds are very cartoony, the characters don't stand out real well against the backgrounds, and it's a little hard to read, but it's it's quite entertaining. I want you to know. read this to my five-year-old. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, this would be, I mean, like, kids would love this. If if you're listening to this and you've got kids and you're thinking, hey, one of the things that I should pick up when I come to the free comic book day, like this this one, this book that has Atomic Robo on the front from Red 5 Comics, like, this is chock full of fun stuff. And this this Bodhi Troll is actually quite entertaining. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, great, great uh, facial expressions throughout the oh, artwork. Um, it reminded me of the artwork from uh, Penny Arcade. Especially that, okay, yeah, I can see that, that yeah. big lump in hair on the front sure, of sure, Bodhi Troll's sure. uh, <laughs> mane there. Great characters, I thought. Um, Bodhi Troll was surprisingly, surprisingly emotive. Well, I just like that like he's just this little disgusting troll that likes horrible things. Likes like, disgusting things like, maybe there'll be pea pods with bug corpses in it or yeah, something. something like, like that. It's just, just disgusting just, stuff. The, the story starts with him saying, oh man, I was having this great dream about giving people nightmares. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, it has just, some really high points humor-wise. That's just the, that's the kind of character that the Bodhi Troll is, and I really, really enjoyed that um, going through. Because everyone you know, likes an asshole, basically. 
uh, myself included, and probably my five-year-old too. First of all, I appreciate in the first frame of this comic that he lives under a bridge, and it shows his little cave under a bridge, so it actually sticks to, you know, troll lore, if you will. I like that for certain panels to show different emotion and whatnot, they did a, a color screen over an entire panel. They did it a few times when they were showing um, the Bodhi troll in, in a panel. It was like a little journey for him, and then he leads up to this uh, antagonist who he has a little villain fight with, and it just it's it's fun is what it comes down to. It was really, really fun for me to read. And, and even it though worked, it, has, it was totally off the wall and wacky, but it never left you going, what? Yeah. And it actually, though, it all worked. It was all very clean. And even though it was dialogue heavy, um, it was a fast read for me, to be honest. It, I went through it really quick. No, definitely. And I, I kind of want to go to this place. <laughs> right. <laughs> this food looks amazing. So finally, in the Red 5 offering is the final one, which is, what, three pages long, maybe? Four, pa- mm. four or five pages? Really short. It takes a huge left turn from the first two in this book. Yeah, and it's this one called Haunted, which is definitely not like a little kid's one. Yeah. And it looks like it's this ghost apocalypse sort of thing. It definitely jumps you right into the middle of the action, and it's a little difficult to understand what in the world's going on. I could see myself maybe liking this because I totally dig the horror genre stuff, but I would want to know how we got here before I could really buy in. But, you know, it's a tiny little sampling. The art is, is relatively strong and what? interesting, and they have some references to different kinds of ghosts, which right away I thought was really cool. Like, she's working working her way through this sort of decimated city, this main character, and she's thinks she sees something off in the distance, and then she says, oh, just a white lady, one of the harmless ones. Had me worried there for a second. It's kind of like, nice, that's awesome, because the white lady is a particular kind of ghost that has a particular kind of deal. You know, that she does, she, she acts a certain way, she's created from a certain set of circumstances. And so horror, supernatural geeks like myself, it, it's clear that they have something going on here. It's not just ghosts or ghosts. Meh. So I thought that was cool. So this one has me more than anything intrigued. But yeah. I'm not like, this is amazing. You're not going to pick it up as soon as no, probably, I would. I would probably thumb through the trade or something or, or the full issue to see if it makes a little more sense or if it really is just kind of jump you in the middle. But again, all this stuff, especially with a comic book like this that is a normal comic book size but has three different three stories, different in, stories mm-hmm. in it, those are real tiny vertical slices of that. Now, if you aren't familiar with that term, that means like think like a pie, right? Or maybe like a tripumple. <laughs> I don't know what that word is, but I'm going to use John, it. John, explain the tripumple. A tripumple. Well... For people that are diabetic, like you and me, it's something we shouldn't eat. A tripumple. It's kind of like one of those Russian nesting dolls. Okay. <laughs> With so pies and cakes. Yeah, it's pies and cakes. So it is a cherry pie baked into a chocolate cake, apple pie into a white cake, and a pumpkin, into pumpkin a pie into cake. a spice cake. And they're all stacked, stacked on top, on top of, each of each other and then frosted like a cake. So it's three cakes and three pies. pies in one. And the vertical slice of that, that's the best way to describe it because it's so much. Diabetes right? be damned, I'm eating that. <laughs> <laughs> so so a vertical slice, that's kind of like, think like something that's ridiculously huge and stacked like that. Because when you're talking about a vertical slice of something, you'll hear it a lot when people are talking about samples or demos or something like that. It's a common term in the video game industry when they're talking about previewing demos of a game. Because that's what it is. It is, it is a full bit of information. It's everything there is to see in that format but for a very small piece of time and typically in the middle somewhere. It's not going to be from the beginning. It's not going to be towards the end. It's going to be kind of this this interesting and and, and uh, hopefully exciting part, sort of middle-ish 
that is just pulled right out of the center. So you get the full experience because this is, you know, it's not going to look any different in the comic books than it does here, but this is a tiny piece of it. So that's yeah, what yeah. that means. Mm. Anyway, so that's always a challenge with the vertical slice sort of deal. Before we, leave, uh, before we leave Haunted real quick, I want to say whenever I get the chance to, to make any sort of shout out for any independent artists, uh, there is an artist in Sacramento named Frederick Allison Jr. who does a series called uh, uh, Hybrid Earth, uh, where in which issue one is out right now. And the artwork in Haunted reminds me of his oh, yeah? so much. We should, we should get a hold of his stuff and talk about it on the podcast. Oh, for sure, for sure. I'd be down. The only problem with uh, the artwork, particularly in this one that I saw, was there were some foreshortening problems. Sure. There one, one panel in particular where her arm is just skewed a, a lot when she's, uh, I think, it's the second to last page and she's running away and the arm just looks weird. And it, and it looks out of style. It yeah. looks out, out of style from the rest of it. Because, you know, there are people like Ben Templesmith that are like, when it comes to foreshortening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just how he rolls, you know. But, I mean, I like that, uh, you know, the story-wise that we have so much vampire media right now. We mm. have so much vampire media. There's a thousand vampire shows and comics. And, I and like, zombie comics. And zombies. Oh, my God. Zombies are everywhere. Vampires and zombies. A little bit That's of werewolves wake. everywhere. That's so interesting, right? We're going to be yeah, talking about two of those things yeah. very shortly. Yeah. yeah. But I like that uh, That this is making a universe around ghosts and demons. It's, it's, it's a different turn could on be, things. Could be very interesting. So. Well, why don't we take a quick musical break. When we get back, we're going to go ahead and talk about the final two comics, as well as comics, literacy, and education for children. You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I want to pause for a second and acknowledge that the viewers can't see this, <laughs> but when we take a break for a musical break, JP will usually say, we're going to take a musical break and then stop. We'll usually have a little conversation, talk about what we just said. And in this one, he kind of shook his head really rapidly with his mouth open the entire time and said, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> so that was just, I want to let everyone know how enjoyable that was on my side. Way we to get, ruin the mystique. Marcus. We get goofy. We get <laughs> well, I want, goofy. I, you know, I'm all about transparency. <laughs> I know. I sometimes I Close wonder. If, I mean, sometimes we do take a break, but sometimes I wonder if people think like they must stop and have a cup of coffee, listen to the music, go yeah, go chill out. They listen to the song. It's like nope. Well, I, originally we did do that, but then when I got my new mixer board that we use to record things, plug it. What's it called? <laughs> it is called the Zoom R16. It's a really really great thing actually. If anybody wants to have advice or you know share, if you'd like me to share my experience with trying to get podcast gear i'd be happy to talk about it and i think that the zoom r16 is a really great recorder because it actually has eight standard xlr plugs or quarter inch plugs 
For those of you that are audio geeks, you'll know I'm not going to get deeper into that. But it's nice because you can actually have eight individual tracks recording at the same time, which is freaking awesome. And it records to just an SD card. It's a very cool tool. But anyway, like an actual recording tool, you have to press record and then play to actually record. And so oh yeah, I, I remember this. There's story. been more than once <laughs> where I would like not hit record and play. I would just hit record to hold it in standby. And then I hit record again because I forgot that I pressed record and just press play. And in, in a bright room, you can't really see the lights very well. It's just, anyway, it's a mess. So sometimes mm-hmm. so I've gotten away from actually stopping <laughs> for breaks. It sounds ridiculous. We're ruining. This is behind the curtain shit right now. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we did lose a, half an episode. We lost half of an entire episode. So now we'll stand. Andy, we'll sit Andy. around and talk for five ten minutes. But I'll just let it run. And, full, and then you get a blow a movie stuff. review. <laughs> oh oh yeah. my god! We had to review Pacific Rim twice, twice in a row because <laughs> I totally forgot to do that. That was. Oh, so. That was somewhere where I fell asleep during the podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was that was where we have a background track of. <laughs> Somebody poke him. Somebody poke him. <laughs> all right, all right. So real quick, I want to talk a little bit about some comics history. So I think that it, whenever we're talking about comics literacy and sort of the cultural perspective on comic books, it's important to bring up what I would like to call sort of the dark the dark age of comics, which was starting, you know, before this, but was was really kind of kicked into overdrive by a big douchebag named Frederick Wortham, a German-born American psychiatrist, and he's probably best known for his book Seduction of the Innocent, in which he basically points the big, awful, stupid German finger <laughs> at comic books for the pr- being the problem and the reason why there was a huge amount of juvenile delinquency at the time, back in 54. Anyway, so, you know, he's famous for quotes like, I think Hitler was a beginner compared to the comic book industry. That's Frederick Wortham. What a jerk. Anyway, so it sort of kicked off this weird, crazy, like, fanatical anti-comic thing for a while. He was the one who uh, called Batman and Robin... Gay lovers. Yeah, pedophilic, gay... Yeah, he had... I mean, we shouldn't get into it too much because I do want to spend an entire episode talking about all this stuff. Oh, yeah. But... Suffice it to say, Frederick Wortham was a real jackass. Responsible for global warming. Responsible for for a lot of problems with all the comic book burning. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, they they burned comic books like books in Germany. Talk about bad taste. Anyway, so lots of problems with that, and it basically on a long enough timeline, it 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 led to um, sort of the response from the comic book industry, which was the Comics Code Authority, which basically had an iron grip around the nuts of comic book creativity and wouldn't let you do anything. Like you couldn't do comic books about Walking Dead. You couldn't do comic books about vampires, werewolves, ghouls, anything. You couldn't... The you bad couldn't, guy couldn't win. bad guy could never win. The bad guy always had to get punished. You couldn't show... Establish, you couldn't show any kind of disrespect for the established authority, so there could never be... St- Police officers, government officials, nobody, nobody could be corrupt could ever because bad. they're always good because they're established authority. It's just, it was such a crock. Anyway, so this led to a long time of comics being kind of weak sauce. And uh, only helped the growing misconception that comic books are for children or for the sort of socially retarded. And uh, <laughs> and so as we find now, we are seeing that comic books actually are an amazing tool to help get kids to read. And as far as the parents are okay with the with the the theme and the because uh, comics obviously are for lots of different themes and lots of different genres and lots of different levels of maturity. But as long as the people that are choosing the books to put in the hands of the children 
Uh, it's a really amazing tool to get kids to read. There's a much lower barrier to entry. They're, they're much more interested in doing it. And studies have shown that reading is reading, that, you know, it's good to read books and it helps with all kinds of things like grammar and literacy and all that. And it's just, it's amazing for kids to read and that'd be awesome. But if kids are a little uncomfortable with that, they're scared by the, the idea of reading a giant thick book, something like comic book is often a really great way to get them going and then can sometimes segue or very regularly segue into comfort with more difficult and, and scarier reading. So it's just kind of awesome. And they're finding more and more that comic books are a really great tool for that. So that's just another reason why you should come in and check out Free Comic Book Day. Another reason why Free Comic Book Day is such a good thing. And the idea of trying to evangelize the reading of comics is awesome. You know, this country is getting to where it's doing less and less reading, you mm -hmm. know, to the point where something like 30-something percent of people that graduate high school never read another book. 40-something percent of people that leave, that, that graduate co uh, college with a bachelor's never read another book. It's bad. You know, like, yeah. I mean, families that, like the statistic, I'm off the top of my head, I don't have them in front of me, but I believe the statistic was, oh, here, actually, I've got it right here. Uh, total percentage of U.S. families who did not buy a book this year is 80%. You know, that's that's scary. Oh, wow. So so the idea that that people are coming in and and kids are willing to read comic books, parents should be like running in giant zombie like packs to mm -hmm. comic book stores to buy comic books at Waterfront Comics for their <laughs> children to read because the kids will read them. I have a friend whose kid is totally obsessed with Godzilla. Godzilla. The kid, the kid oh, yeah. is, it's so great. He has such a passion for Godzilla. And uh, my friend and I were talking and, and, and she was kind of like, hey, he's not really comfortable with, with uh, reading very much. And it's, it's coming to be a little bit of a struggle. I said, there's Godzilla comic books. Let me go get some Godzilla comic books for him. Next thing you know, he's reading them. And I ask her, does he like it? And he goes, oh, yeah, he reads it like three times in a row. So it's <laughs> like the kids are reading. So, A, comic books literacy, very cool, and then very short, because I don't want to get in this too long, because, again, I do want to do a whole episode on this, but they're also finding that comic books, or the, the comic book form, which more particularly or more accurately is, is called sequential art, which is a term coined by what? the incredible Will Eisner back in his book, Comics and Sequential, sequential Art. Anyway, so the idea of uh, sequential art being really the more correct term for the comic book medium they're finding that when you use something like a comic book, it stimulates not just language, but also visual. And that when you remember something, when you remember or conceptualize an idea and you're trying to, you know, learn new information for retention so that you can, you know, spit it back out for use in life or for a test or something like that. So basically education, right? They're finding that when you learn something in a sequential art type format where there's not only language describing the information, but also visual imagery describing the information, which comic books is a perfect example of that. They're finding that retention is considerably higher. And there's actually work going on to create textbooks that are comic books. There's actually a place, if you're curious, you can check out readingwithpictures.org. And these are the guys behind the successful Kickstarter project to create the graphic textbook. This is a textbook aimed at grades three to six. The graphic textbook features short stories that address topics drawn from the list of common core standards. The accompanying teacher's edition also includes standard correlated lesson plans customized to each story, research-based justifications for using comics in the classroom, a guide to establish best classroom practices, and a comprehensive list of additional educational resources, both in print and online. It is an awesome resource, and we highly recommend going and checking them out. Also, if you go to their website, they have a badass epic list of really good research on this subject of comics for education and literacy in their research and rationale page 
under the educator resources section. So way highly recommend those guys. Anyway, so just more reasons why Free Comic Book Day is a whole lot more than just an opportunity to get more people into the comic books because us greedy geeks want more people that like, you know, we want company. It's because comic books are an awesome way to get kids to read, awesome, awesome format to remember things. It's just a good thing. Comic books are a whole lot more than Spider-Man and superheroes and talking animals. It's really, it's a special thing and it's a really cool way to communicate information and you know, I'm just starting to repeat myself at this point. But we're all very passionate about comic books, as you can imagine. That's why we sit up here in, in the our adorable little studio and the hot and the cold and the whatever to share our passion with it with you guys. So just figured, since I did some research for this podcast recently uh, on the subject particularly, I really felt like I wanted to share it with you guys a little bit. Because it really is an, an incredible thing that the more I discover... Comics is a really a, an awesome an awesome thing. It really is. It's an incredible art form and an incredible tool for education and literacy and everything. So it's not just for funsies. Quick question, JP. On, yes. In your Will Eisner audiobook that you're listening to, hmm. have they got to the part where he creates PM Magazine? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Will was actually working with the government doing basically educational magazines for good practices for um, using different kinds of materials, and you know, the, like, the, like the, keeping your gun up to yeah. snuff, being able to use different tanks and all that kind of stuff. And and the thing was, in that time, they thought a lot of GIs were not – obviously, the literacy rate then was way lower than it is now. Sure. So a lot of soldiers then didn't know how to read. So they did their maintenance manuals in comic form. So they're able to see the comics. And oh, there was there was an anecdote that apparently somebody walked up to Will one time and said, are you Will Eisner? He says, yeah. He says, you saved my life. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, you know, if something happened with my tank or whatever it was, his vehicle, and it broke down and he had one of his manuals there and he used his manual to do like a field fix and saved his life. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, comic books, this is another reason why Will Eisner is such a neat guy, but comic books have really been, are an incredible tool for education and incredible tool for literacy and you know, so just all the more reason to come down and patronize your local comic shop, especially on Free Comic Book Day. And it's a good way to get started. So that's that is my rant. So we can move on to the other comics. So next up, we were talking about Far From Wonder, Volume 1, Hatter M. This comic is it's been around for a while. Frank Bedor created it and they have a series of five graphic novels and three books, three prose books detailing about. It's Hatter M, which is the Mad Hatter being stuck in Paris. 1800s or Paris. Hatter Madigan. Hatter Madigan, as we, we know him, is the, the Mad, Mad Hatter. Hatter. He has been transported to 1800s France looking for Prince Alice, who he needs to rescue. Um, it's a Princess Alice. Princess Alice, yes. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Your princess is in another castle. <laughs> Frank is a friend. We became friends on the convention circuit where he would always, we'd always run into each other. He's a nice guy. The books are really fun. Um, this is the first comic of the first part of the graphic novel done by Ben Tumblesmith. Now, are, are all the graphic novels done by Ben Tumblesmith? No, just the first one. This okay. was done. The first graphic novel or even just the first issue? The first graphic novel. Hmm. It was done before Ben Tumblesmith became famous comic artist Ben Templesmith. Sure, sure. He still had trouble getting books out on time back then. <laughs> and this came in, came at a snail's pace. And it's since been a new artist has taken over doing the graphic novels. It's the first chapter of it. We have all the graphic novels available at the store. JP likes Ben Templesmith. I'm not a huge fan. 
I think a lot of his storytelling wasn't really on point at this time in his career. So it was kind of hard to understand what was going on at first. And it's one of those books that requires like a go back and reread. What did I just see here? I totally to figure that out. Especially at this point, his more recent stuff is, is, is much more well-developed, but he still plays pretty fast and loose with foreshortening and the way the characters look, the way the backgrounds are drawn. It's, it's all very kind of impressionistic and, and a lot of the time sort of nightmarish looking. Which works really well for horror-type comics. 30 Days a Night was amazing with that style. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. 30 Days a Night works really well with that. Recently, 10 Grand, which you have the trade for downstairs, yeah. worked really well for that. This, I would say, I don't feel like that was probably the right artistic choice for yeah, this I, one. I, it didn't feel like it fit very well, and it was you know just not as skillful as his later hmm. stuff. Right. I think that the fact that he plays so fast and loose with things like that... You know, with characters sort of stretching and being, you know, I don't want to say cartoon rubbery, but they they don't always have really good proportions. They don't always have very good foreshortening. The characters don't necessarily always look like themselves. You almost have to go, oh, that's the same haircut. So that's the same guy sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that works when it's a horror comic, because then it allows you to sort of distort and stretch and, you know, do these sort of terrible things to the monsters and to the people that are seeing the monsters so that it has this sort of visceral, emotional darkness to it, which works really well. But this, I don't feel like, lends itself well, this story, to that particular art style. If the story took place more in Wonderland, then... That I, would probably make more that sense. That would make a lot more sense. Although I'd expect it to be brighter. You well, know? I don't know. But if, then again... If Wonderland's under siege, like uh, it always seems true. to be. In, the, in this one, it's... Wonderland is more akin to kind of like a Game of Thrones type setting. Yeah, yeah. Fantasy, people are out to kill everyone. Yeah. You know, there's definitely magic-like stuff going on. But, so, anyway. I, I recommend the book. I, I recommend the graphic novel series. I recommend the book series. It may be, it may even be one for JP to check out on Audible down the road. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, let's check it out. But, the, you know, it's a, it's a great slice of the graphic novel. Give it a try. If you like it, it gets better. You know, is, is what I will uh, go with on that one. Yeah, it was entertaining. It was definitely yeah. entertaining. And I'm I'm kind of glad that you said that this was early in Ben's career because it feels like that. Yeah. Which makes a lot more sense. So so that we'll do that one quick and fast. The fourth book that we, we, we sat down was called Fubar. And what is the... Does anyone have it in front of them? What the... You, you do. Fubar, the Ace of Spades is the... There's actually two different stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Fubar is a zombie war comic. The first story is set... Zero Dead 30. Zero Dead 30. <laughs> you the can first... imagine. So when you say zombie zombie war comic, as those words are coming out of your mouth, I hear, it's a zombie. I go, yay! And then you say war comic, I go, aw. <laughs> That's exactly what happened inside of my mind when that, you just, Because the war comics never grabbed me, but this one was actually pretty interesting. It had a little bit more of a focus on the squad, mm-hmm. you know, interact. It wasn't like, you know, big grand war theater. Like it was more about the squad and there was, you know, some kind of quips back and forth between the men. You got to feel like you get to know them a little bit and, you mm-hmm. know, had that sort of a team kind of feel this a little bit. Very here modern take on the, uh, you know, company of heroes type thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that was nice because when it gets more character driven, it's a lot easier to be, interested in what's going on in the war movies or war media for me yeah and i'm much like you jp i zombies cool you know but it was a little bit too much war yeah more mm-hmm. zombies what we were saying before more zombies less war would be nice. yeah not that it's a bad setting 
But, but I mean, that, it's just my my opinion. There may be people because I had a guy yesterday going, "What kind of war comics do you have in here?" And I'm like, "Oh, I really don't have much. We got Sergeant Rock and you know stuff like that." But so I mean, with us being close to a military base, maybe some people will dig this. Sure, yeah. sure. It's definitely entertaining, and I definitely think it's probably one of the strongest entries in the Silver Free Comic Book Days that we've talked about so far, and easily one of the most information-packed one. I mean, it had so much there. It was a full, complete issue-like, and then another sort of mini-issue afterwards. It wasn't like some of these other ones where they're split up into a bunch of little tiny pieces. Yeah. yeah. You know, this was a full, complete, very, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that this one, save the one that we're about to talk about, was probably the most satisfying it, it of was all a, the ones we've yeah, talked about It was so a far. full comic. Yeah. And on the back, there's three trades, and it has the diamond order codes on all of them, so you can be like, John, here it is. And you could just type in these diamond order codes oh, score. if I don't have it. And uh, that's really good. I mean, I think I'm going to order, you know, the the books for the store because it was an interesting one for me sure. to pass on to people that are into zombies. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm definitely a into zombies sort of dude. And this was very entertaining. Mm. Well, why don't we why don't we go ahead and jump into our final one? that I think we have a little more to say about this one was actually of of the books we read for the silver one and actually probably. Everything we have read, even going to the ones we're going to do for 4Js, this is probably my favorite one. Yeah, was, I can um, see that. The it, cover immediately reminded me of, what was it, Zombie Wars or something? Yeah. Well, did you see who who drew the cover? Right. It's, yeah, ex- exactly. Our our friend Kevin Eastman drew the cover for this. Of Turtles fame? Yes. And, and the Which is awesome. Book, Zombie I got Wars. all excited when I saw that. I was like, yay! And then I opened it up, and it was it's still really great, but I was, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't more Kevin Eastman. Hmm. But, you know, hey. Then Marcus is happy because Kevin Eastman and Marcus don't get along when it comes to all that cross-hatching. Marcus has strong <laughs> feelings about that. I do. You get the impression that JP has heard a few rants from me in the past. We've all heard each other's rants at this point. Let's not get me started on my screen tones. Let's, just, let's not do that. So, Really? You feel strongly about screen tones? <laughs> so this follows Luther Swan, Ph.D., and basically, he was like a, a mythology type professor, right? His focus was vampire, vampire literature and folklore, yeah. And so, in this war where, or in this world, actually, where there's an outbreak of vampirism because the ice caps are melting and some kind of a genetic disease gets out that activates a sort of dormant part of our genetics that turns us into vampires, starts to just spread all over the place. All of a sudden, his skill set isn't just some sort of weird, strange, unique skill set that you could probably only, you know, have a job as a teacher yes, about. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, hey, this guy, we need him because because mm, advi- people are eating faces. He's the advisor to the president now. Yeah, right. Exactly. On the vampire population. So essentially, what happens with this is that the vampires show up, and well, not so vampires show up. The virus starts turning people, and then you basically get this division in in, the, in society, and it almost has this sort of, you know, vampires have come out of the coffin. Is sort of how it is, except instead of there having always been vampires and now they just reveal themselves to the world, now just part of the world is now vampires because of the virus. And one thing I thought was really cool about this is they have all the colors of the rainbow when it comes to the vampires. And it just depends on your genetics and your background and how the virus interacts with you because everybody has a vampire gene, mm-hmm. but everybody 
based again on your sort of genetics and background and stuff, you, you might turn into a particular kind of vampire. And it's pretty rare to turn into one that really has some serious, like, physical changes. But there were dudes with, like, Nosferatu-looking. There were dudes that... There's that know. one panel in there that has the three guys. One of them was Nosferatu. The other one was, like, a, like a demonish vampire. And right. the last of them, I think, was supposed to be the guy, uh, Kiefer Sutherland from... <laughs> right. Oh, yes. yeah. Okay. From Lost Boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. From Lost Boys, yeah. And did you notice that whenever someone changed... They immediately got like a London Fog designer jacket or a suit and tie. Yeah. Yeah, to me, was, this was this was the far superior comic book version of the god awful movie from, with Ethan Hawke, uh, Daybreakers. Yeah, ah. yeah, definitely. I mean, because it's not like the vampires are some kind of crazy virus that they're trying to stomp out. At least in the beginning, mm-hmm. in the beginning, it's just it's sort of the population splits off, and there's you know clubs and very much. True blood-like, I guess. Except, again, it's not that they've always been there. It's that now there's just this virus turning mm-hmm. people. But, you know, it's just humans a, and different stuff, they hate that. Yeah, so It's we, an alternative lifestyle. Exactly. And people and, are picketing with, you know, God And then firebombing things yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Did you guys see the picture on Facebook the other day that had three different images of this dude in a Deadpool outfit <laughs> with a big sign at yes. a Christian rally. And it was, you know, it was a couple different ones and it was 2012, 13 and 14. And I think one of them Galactus is nigh uh, kneel before Zod. And then the most recent one was, was hail Hydra. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so great. I remember the year when the Westboro Baptist church picketed comic con. <laughs> and so they were picketed back. And by people in cosplay and that's awesome. And it was about the time when plants for zombies first came out. Oh, so there are a lot of, a lot of zombie cosplayers with, you know, down with pea shooters and <laughs> <laughs> that's freaking awesome. So, I mean, this, this, it sort of vacillates between having a serious feel to being a little silly. Mm-hmm. So oh, I, I got more of the serious feel, definitely. But I mean, what I mean is, like, in the story and the lead up, visually, little jokes like Kiefer Sutherland type. Oh, okay, yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah. Like, you know, it definitely has a little bit of funny in there. But it, it or the guy on the train that's like tonguing the tooth that's growing out, and he's like, "Oh, what's like, this? Oh, yeah. Interesting, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> he's got a mirror, and he's oh, yeah, and the mirror, right? That's uh-huh. funny. Yeah. So, but but it seems like it's there it's are a moving. lot of cute visual cues in that. Totally. It feels like though it's moving in a direction to try and investigate. The way that humans deal with people who are different. Did you read much of the back matter stuff? I didn't because it was a huge amount of back matter stuff. Well, apparently, this was a book series first, and there's a couple oh, really? of, of books of short stories. Oh, that's out what there. that was about. Okay. And, that's, and they had like like government. Yeah, you know, and that, so it was a couple of the of the short stories were there in the back matter. Oh, that's awesome! And it was pretty cool. So it led me to go to Amazon.com and download the ebook. Nice. And there is. An audiobook out there, so it may be something for Joe and JP to check out on their Audible account. Yeah, that would be good. All right. Definitely. Well, I mean, out of all the things that we've read, this is, I would say, I would agree with you, John, it's probably my favorite. And, you know, the, the top two for especially Bang for Your Buck, because this whole thing is yeah. Vampire Wars. And like John said, in the back, there's some of the short stories, and then there's some more explanations about different types of vampires, and it's really meaty for a free comic book. It reminded me a lot of World War Z. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you know... Especially, you know, the telling the story mm-hmm. and, you know, normal person recounting the story. So, and, you know, you all know how I feel about World War Z. It's one of my, you know, favorite, favorite things. So. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely recommended top list. And not only today. will the zero issue be out for free comic book day. Issue one comes out that Wednesday before, and we will have a lot of copies. IDW offered a returnability program if you matched your free or matched a portion of your free comic book day 
So it was really, I just had to put that, I just had to put the upfront cash. And if it doesn't sell, I can return. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, but it gives definitely probably my highest recommendation of everything that we've, uh, including what you were talking, what we're going to be talking about on the four chase podcast. So very cool. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for the geek life podcast. Thanks for listening. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in being a PM contributor can visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. Music for this episode has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. Want to learn more about AirPlus Recordings? Visit airplusrecordings.com. This is JP, and we'll see you next time. And we'll see you at Free Comic Book Day. Yeah, actually, if you guys are at all local, come down to Free Comic Book Day at Waterfront Comics. We will be there recording a live podcast. There will be snow cones. Uh, John just fired up downstairs to test, and we tasted it, and it was wonderful. A brand new popcorn machine. He's going to have normal corn, like kettle corn, right, John? Yep. And are you going to have the jumpy house again? No jumpy house this year. Unfortunately... The kids that we normally get it for started to grow up, so it just wasn't well, a... Well, uh, that's yeah. too bad. Well, there will also be next to our table, the podcast table, Marcus will be up there. I'll have new... some marshmallow goodness. He'll have a bowl of marshmallows for you. And some prints uh, for free and uh, comic books you can buy. His, cool. uh, his Hulk Spider-Man print is pretty damn awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Nice. I saw you post that on the, online the other day. That's, that's mm-hmm. pretty great. It's the first Saturday in May. But... Yes, this Saturday. So come to Waterfront Comics on the waterfront in Sassoon, California, and see us there. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.